Isaiah chapter 38. I'm going to probably whisper a little bit here. Isaiah chapter 38, beginning in verse 1, it says, In those days Hezekiah was sick and near death. And Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amos, went to him and said to him, Thus says the Lord, set your house in order, for you shall die and not live. Then Hezekiah turned his face toward the wall and prayed to the Lord and said, Remember now, O Lord, I pray, how I have walked before you in truth and with a loyal heart and have done what is good in your sight. And Hezekiah wept bitterly. And the word of the Lord came to Isaiah, saying, Go and tell Hezekiah, Thus says the Lord, the God of David, your father, I have heard your prayer. I have seen your tears. Surely I will add to your days 15 years. I will deliver you and this city from the hand of the king of Assyria. And I will defend this city. And this is the sign to you from the Lord that the Lord will do this thing which he has spoken. Behold, I will bring the shadow On the sundial, which has gone down with the sun on the sundial of Ahaz, ten degrees backward. So the sun returned ten degrees on the dial by which it had gone down. I'm going to pause there as we continue our our study in this particular chapter. I want to begin with a poem that some of you may be familiar with. It's called The Clock of Life. It goes like this. The clock of life is wound but once, and no man has the power to tell just when the hands will stop at late or early hour. To lose one's wealth is sad indeed. To lose one's health is more. To lose one's soul is such a loss that no man can restore. Even while I read that poem, Statistically, about 40 people died. You may not know this, but on average, every hour, 5,417 people go into eternity. They go to meet their eternal fate. We know that people die every day. Let me put things in this particular passage in perspective for you. Remember what we've learned in the book of Isaiah. God keeps his promise. God has made a promise to the people and to David. God will send someone who is the offspring of David to rule his people in peace and justice. And remember that the opening chapters of the book of Isaiah paint for us a picture of Messiah who's going to come and deliver the world. Part of the challenge that people faced in those days is they asked and answered the question, is Hezekiah that king? Is Hezekiah the king that God has promised who would be the offspring of David? Because arguably he was a wonderful man, a righteous man, but he was a fallible man and an imperfect man. 
both chapters 38 and 39 paint a picture of a king who is mortal, who is temporal, who is fallible. Hezekiah knew life was short. He knew that human beings were mortal. Remember, the Bible speaks of us at like grass and like smoke. We are here today and, and gone to tomorrow. The Bible paints a picture of just how fragile, just how temporary our life is. We live in a broken world. We live in a fallen world. We know that the Bible says it's appointed once for a human being to live or excuse me, it's appointed once for a man to die. And it says after that comes the judgment. Each of us in the back of our mind and sometimes in the front of our mind, we understand that life is moving ever closer to death. God, we discover in this particular passage, is available to us. As we cry out to him in times of sorrow and need, we sang about it during the time of worship. I cried out and he answered and he delivered me. What a perfect description of prayer. I cried out. He answered me and delivered me. By the way, we have a great privilege. We can pray. We can cry out to the Lord. We also have a persistent enemy. Our pride and nothing will condemn us quicker and nothing will displease God more than our wicked, our selfish, our manipulative pride. Remember, Hezekiah's illness is taking place in the context of a national emergency, the invasion of Assyria. For those of you who are a little bit lost, Isaiah's story isn't in chronological order. As a matter of fact, what the writer does is he goes back in time, if you will, and recounts this particular incident in the life of Hezekiah. Hezekiah is facing an announcement that he has a terminal disease. And the prognosis isn't just gloomy, it's fatal. The prophet Isaiah comes and he says, you're going to die. Get your house in order. And remember, for those of you who have been following along in our study in the book of Isaiah, remember I said there would come a day when you hear bad news. And how you handle that news is going to become an indicator of your life and your, and your spiritual circumstances. We see in this crisis many lessons, but perhaps no greater lesson than the power of prayer. You see, prayer can do anything that God can do. By the way, what is it that God cannot do? Remember in the New Testament, someone asked Jesus that question. One of his disciples said to him concerning a question that had been asked. He said, that's impossible for men. And the Lord said, guess what? What's impossible for men is possible with God. With God, all things are possible. And so look again in verse one, it says, in those days, Hezekiah was sick and near death. And Isaiah, the prophet, the son of Amos, went to him and said, thus says the Lord, set your house in order, for you shall die 
and not live. It begins with the king's sickness. Isaiah's words are more than a warning. It just seems more like a proclamation of fact. It's not a judgment. He's speaking rather matter-of-factly. Hey, guess what? Everyone's going to die. By the way, each and every one of us, barring the rapture of the church, is going to die. Each and every one of us may at some point hear the words, get your house in order. You don't have long to live. Can you imagine if you're at the doctor and the doctor says you have an inoperable brain tumor or you have stage four cancer or there's some situation? Is your house in order? Are you walking with the Lord? Does your family walk with the Lord? Hezekiah's sickness, again, occurs before the Assyrian siege of Jerusalem that's described in chapters 36 and 37. Isaiah placed the description of that illness here along with chapter 39 because he's going to be introducing chapters 40 through 66. Set your house in order. John MacArthur writes, An instruction telling Hezekiah to make his final will known to his family. And by the way, this is spoken of in 1 Kings chapter 2, verses 1 through 9. The prediction sounded final, but Hezekiah knew God was willing to hear his appeal. By the way, Hezekiah dies in 686 B.C. God will extend his life for 15 years. That means that at the onset of Hezekiah's illness... If it took place, then it took place sometime around 701 B.C. in the very year that the Assyrian invasion is going to take place. So it isn't just simply about the death of Hezekiah. It's about the circumstances that the nation itself faces. I remember when Mary was pregnant with our second son, with Anthony, and Anthony was is. was being born and we had this doctor from India named Jitendra Bhatt. And for whatever reason, he felt like it was his responsibility to tell jokes while Mary was in labor giving birth to our child, you know, sort of to cheer her up. And I remember one of the stories that he told during during Anthony's birth. He goes, "Okay, let me tell you something. This man comes to the doctor and the doctor says, I've got Good news, and I've got bad news. Which do you want to hear first? And so the man said, let me hear the good news. And the doctor said, you only have 48 hours to live. And the man said, I have two days to live, 48 hours to live. You're telling me that that's the good news? That is bad news. That is terrible news. What could be worse than that? He goes, well, the bad news is I should have told you yesterday. That's kind of the situation that Hezekiah faces. Isaiah walks in. Here's the bad news. You're going to die. By the way, Isaiah takes this out of chronological order, not to confuse the reader, but to explain the prophetic implications of the future and to remind the reader that Hezekiah isn't the promised Messiah. Well, if Hezekiah is not the Messiah, who is? And once again, Isaiah is setting us up 
for a detailed description of the future Messiah in chapter 40 through 66. It says in verse 2, we go from the king's sickness to the king's supplication. Look in verse 2, it says, Then Hezekiah turned his face toward the wall and prayed to the Lord and said, Remember now, O Lord, I pray, how I have walked before you in truth and with a loyal heart and have done what is good in your sight. And Hezekiah wept bitterly. When he hears the news, he prays. And I suspect, again, people have criticized and said, well, why did Hezekiah turn his face toward the wall? I suspect that he's talking about the wall that faces the temple. Remember, he is ill and he's been ill for quite some time. And he prays. Remember now, O Lord, I pray how I have walked before you in truth and with a loyal heart and have done what is good in your sight. I want you to note something right off the bat when he prays. He doesn't ask God. To extend his life. If he does, it's not included in the text. He doesn't say, oh, God, I'm going to die. Extend my life. He doesn't do that. Look what it, the king simply reminds God of how he's conducted his life. And note what his prayer is. I have walked before you in truth. That is in faithfulness. He says, I've walked with you a loyal with a loyal heart. And look what else he says. And I have done what is good in your sight. By the way, could you pray such a prayer? In other words, you hear the news You're praying to God. God knows the truth. You can't fool him concerning the reality of your life. If you prayed that prayer, I have walked before you in. What would you insert? Lies, hypocrisy, inconsistency. Have you been faithful? Have you had a divided heart or a loyal heart? Did you do what was good in the sight of the Lord? I'm going to suggest to you that Hezekiah wasn't a perfect person. As a matter of fact, he was a fallible and an imperfect person. But I want to point something out to you. In Genesis chapter 17, verse 1, do you remember when the Lord appeared to Abram? When Abraham was 99 years old, it says the Lord appeared to Abraham and said to him, I am almighty God. Walk before me and be blameless. Hezekiah's prayer it's a prayer of blamelessness. In effect, Hezekiah is saying, I did what was required to live a long life. I wasn't rebellious and disobedient. I submitted myself to you and I honored you. Remember what happens. Hezekiah reminds the Lord of three basic things. He was faithful and following the Lord. He was loyal and wholly devoted to the Lord. He behaved righteously before the Lord. And then the Bible says he wept bitterly. Before you judge him too harshly. Or you judge him too quickly. I suspect that if you were in a doctor's office. 
And the doctor presented to you the fact that you had to get your house in order, that you don't have long to live, that you might weep bitterly also. So why does he weep? We can't be sure about everything. But I'm going to suggest something to you. That he isn't weeping simply for himself. He isn't weeping simply because he's got a raw deal. And what a terrible, painful thing. And if there was ever a worse time to die, it's when the nation's getting ready to collapse. I suspect that there's a couple of things that you may not be aware of. As a matter of fact, we know from other passages that when Hezekiah died, he had a son named Manasseh. And Manasseh was 12 years old when Hezekiah died. You know what that means? That at this particular moment in time and space, he has no son. He has no offspring. Could it be that his heart was broken? I'm going to suggest to you that it was. That his heart was broken. It could it be that he simply wanted... To subject his life to the sovereign will of God. Was he in effect saying, if this is the case, then I accept it. But I don't understand it. I accept it, but I don't understand it because you made a promise to David. And you made a promise to David's offspring that his offspring would occupy the throne of David. And I don't see that happening. And look what it says in verses four through six. And the word of the Lord came to Isaiah. Saying, go and tell Hezekiah, thus says the Lord, the Lord God of David, your father. I heard I have heard your prayer. I've seen your tears. Surely I will add to your days 15 years. I will deliver you and this city from the hand of the king of Assyria. And I will defend this city. <clears throat> Understand what's happening. Isaiah brings the announcement. Get your act together. You're not going to live. He's already left the room. Isaiah's headed for home. Before Isaiah even leaves the temple courtyard, a message comes to him from the Lord. Isaiah was to return immediately with a new message. God heard the king's prayer recognize the king's brokenness is going to heal the king. On the third day, the king will rise from his bed of affliction. He will go up to the temple. He will worship the Lord. Here's a good thing to ask at this point. Did God change his mind? What do you think? Does God change his mind? I'm going to suggest something to you that God doesn't change his mind, that God is immutable. He is unchanging. God knows the beginning from the end. He isn't necessarily changing his mind. But what he is doing is he's responding to the prayer and the brokenness of this particular person and is, in fact, responding with healing. Now, I need to explain something to you. Does God change his mind about things that are inviolate and important and immutable? In other words, will God change his mind about adultery 
to accommodate adulterous behavior? Will God change his mind about lying? Will God change his mind about stealing? Will God change his mind about something being wrong? Now, all of a sudden, it's right in the present. I'm going to suggest to you that God doesn't change his mind. But I'm also going to suggest to you that there are circumstances in the Bible as the plan of God and the will of God begins to unfold that God is willing to surely, to truly respond to repentance and prayer. Remember when Jonah goes to Nineveh and he preaches and he says, you have 40 days. And remember, the whole city repents in sackcloth and ashes. Does God change his mind? No, but God is willing to respond when people confess their sin and repent of their sin. It would appear for God's honor, for David's sake, the Lord will defend the capital. He won't allow it to fall to the Assyrians. And so at this point, we don't find this out until later. Isaiah tells the servants to prepare a poultice, an anointment of fig leaves to place upon the king. And that in this poultice, in this fig ointment, the king is going to rise from his bed of affliction. Now, this is important, too, because apparently God doesn't just miraculously and supernaturally intervene. And again, you would think that if you pray, does God have the ability to instantly heal this person? Yeah. So then why does he remain sick for three more days? Why does he ask for ointment and medicine? We're not told. But we are. But here's the conclusion that we can draw that God is willing to, to use multiple circumstances in order to affect healing. And then look what it says in, in verses seven and eight. And this is the sign to you from the Lord that the Lord will do this thing which he has spoken. Behold, I will bring the shadow on the sundial which has gone down with the sun on the sundial of Ahaz, 10 degrees backward. So the sun returned 10 degrees on the dial by which it had gone down. This reminds me, too, that remember this weekend is time change. Spring ahead, fall back. I'm going to do it supernaturally. Watch. I am going to make time go back this weekend. Am I making time go back? No, it's just a construct that we use. By the way, it would appear that Hezekiah needed assurance and he asked for a sign. How do we know that the promise of the Lord was true? Well, again, the Lord said in three days he's going to go up and he's going to worship in the in the temple. <clears throat> and so as a part of the sign, the Lord gives Hezekiah a choice. To move the shadow of the sundial forward or backward by 10 degrees. We learn that this sundial, the sundial belonged to Ahaz. A king of Judah, which he lived earlier. By the way, let me just ask you this question. What do you think is the greater miracle? Do you think it's a greater miracle to make time stand still and then go backwards in time? Or do you think it's a greater miracle to suddenly go forward in time. I want to point something else out to you. By the way, this is the first mention in the Bible 
of increments of time. And so the Lord gave Hezekiah the choice. And since this is the first biblical mention of any means of marking time is what I should have said. In other words, this is this is the first mention of marking time. According to Second Kings, chapter 20, if you have a Bible, you might want to turn there to Second Kings, chapter 20, verses eight through ten. We get a little bit we get a picture of what's going on. In Second Kings, chapter 20, verse eight, it says, and Hezekiah said to Isaiah, What is the sign that the Lord will heal me and that I shall go up to the house of the Lord the third day? Then Isaiah said, this is the sign to you from the Lord that the Lord will do the thing which he has spoken. Shall the shadow go forward 10 degrees or go backward 10 degrees? And Hezekiah answered, it is an easy thing for the shadow to go down 10 degrees No, but let the shadow go backward 10 degrees. So Isaiah, the prophet, cried out to the Lord and he brought the shadow 10 degrees backward. By which it had gone down on the sundial of Ahaz. You know, there are people who read the Bible and they laugh at this. Oh, Proof positive that the Bible is a work of mythology and fiction. This couldn't happen. In order for this to happen, the earth would have to stop rotating on its axis. The sun would have to stop in its course. The whole universe would have to both stop and then reverse itself. Not just in our solar system, not just our sun. But within the whole galaxy, by the way, I think that's true. Ten degrees on a sundial, by the way, is about 45 minutes. Do you know what the Bible is telling us right here? God suspended time. He did that which is impossible. Haven't you ever thought about that and prayed about that? Have you ever said to yourself after you made a particularly bad decision? If I could just go back 45 minutes into the past. And I know what some of you are thinking. No, forget 45 minutes. I need 45 days. Some of you might be thinking I need 4.5 months. Some of you might be thinking I need 45 years. Some of you are old enough to remember what you were doing 45 years ago. I remember what I was doing 45 years ago on this very night. I was bobbing for apples at a Halloween party. Little did I know that my life would unfold the way that it unfolded. Probably you're the same. You had no idea. That your life would turn out the way that it turned out. But you know what's interesting about this? The sign that the Lord gives. He literally goes back in time. For 45 minutes. As if the pronouncement. That Isaiah made 45 minutes earlier. Never happened. He literally turned back the clock. 
and turned back the time and reversed the course of time and space. I think that that's interesting. You see, prayer is only limited to the power and the character of God. Nothing is impossible with God. God has all power and all knowledge and all wisdom. Nothing is hidden from God. He knows everything. He comprehends everything in his perfect wisdom. Now think about this for just a moment. God suspends time and space and reverses the course of an entire planet And he alters the course of an entire solar system. And he alters the course of an entire galaxy in order to respond to the prayer of the king. Is there anything too hard for God? Can he truly, truly do anything? And you see, when we face a monster-sized problem... When we're facing a circumstance that is so bad, we're given permission to God to cry out. I know what some of you wish. Oh, God, go back in time. Make it so that I never met that person. Lord, I want to go back in time. I want to make it like I never met him or her. I I want to make it like I never made that choice. I never took that step. I never did that stupid thing. But guess what? Here's what we know. No matter how big the problem, we're given permission to pray and we're given permission to cry out. If we surrender to the Lord, if we're willing to face the consequences, listen carefully, of his perfect love, of his perfect wisdom, of his perfect will. You know what I guarantee you? You'll be fine. Lord. Forgive me of my sin. He'll forgive you. Lord, heal me of my disease. It's okay for you to ask. It's okay for you to ask for God to intervene in your life. He knows everything about us. He knows every choice, every weakness, every failure. God knows us and has the ability to help us. Remember what it says in Matthew chapter 7, verse 7. Jesus said, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. In John chapter 15, verse 7, the Lord says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire. And it shall be done to you. Notice that when Jesus talks about the response to prayer, it is because you find yourself living, breathing in the very center of the heart and the will and the passion of God. Now we read the king's speech. So we go from the king's sickness to the king's surrender to the king's speech. Look at verse nine. This is the writing of Hezekiah, king of Judah, when he had been sick and had recovered from his sickness. Verse 10 is his testimony. Listen, I said, in the prime of my life, I shall go to the gates of Sheol. I'm deprived of the remainder of my years. I said, I shall not see Yah. Literally, it says Yah, Yah. The Lord in the land of the living. I shall observe man no more. 
among the inhabitants of the world. My lifespan is gone, taken from me like a shepherd's tent. I have cut off my life like a weaver. He cuts me off from the loom from day until night. You make an end of me. I have considered until morning like a lion. So he breaks all my bones from day until night. You make an end of me like a crane or a swallow. So I chattered. I mourned like a dove. My eyes fail from looking upward. Oh, Lord, I am oppressed. Undertake for me. What shall I say? He has both spoken to me and he himself has done it. I shall walk carefully all my years in the bitterness of my soul. O Lord, by these things men live, and in all these things is the life of my spirit. So you will restore me and make me live. Indeed, it was for my own peace that I had great bitterness. But you have lovingly delivered my soul from the pit of corruption. For you have cast all my sins behind your back. For Sheol cannot thank you. Death cannot praise you. Those who go down to the pit cannot hope for your truth. The living, the living man, he shall praise you. As I do this day, the father shall make known your truth to the children. You might call this the summary of the king. Hezekiah, during this little litany that we just read. He goes through. A parade of emotions, just like you might. If you heard that you were going to die, do you think it's abnormal? Do you think it's weird? Do you think it's sinful to be depressed? He does. He's depressed. He's betrayed. He's broken. By the way, he feels depression. He feels betrayal. He feels Broken. You know how we know the betrayal stems from the statement. Look what it says in the prime of my life. I shall go down to the gates of Sheol. The gates of Sheol, by the way, are the grave. I am deprived of the remainder of my years. Some scholars, most Bible scholars place Hezekiah's age at this point. About thirty nine years old. Do you think if you died at 39, that's cut short? I do. Especially when I'm way past 39. When you're 39, you think, I have some good years left on me. But I actually remember my 39th year and my 40th year like it was yesterday. We, we had just planted the church and we were in the upper room. And we celebrated my 40th birthday in that upper room. And you know... The worst part about being 39 was two weeks before 40. Two weeks before 40, I went through all of those emotional gyrations that you go through. I'm old. This is it. The dreams, the plans. I'm now crossing the threshold into senior citizenship. The king feels broken. And look what it says in verses 13 through 16. I have considered until morning like a lion. So he breaks all my bones. He describes himself 
like a deer or like a gazelle that a lion has been chomping on all night long from day until night. You make an end of me like a crane or a swallow. So I chattered. I mourned like a dove. He's describing his feelings. Do you know what he's saying in poetic language? He's saying, I feel like I'm being torn to pieces. I feel like I'm being broken by a ferocious lion. The king goes from depression to deliverance. The king will describe what God has done in verses 17 through 18. But he says, look, my eyes fail me from looking upward. So I chattered. I'm looking upward. The picture is a, a guy who is broken and in humility and actual dependence. The idea is that he's looking constantly up, looking to the Lord, looking to God to deliver him. It says, undertake for me. By the way, this is where we get the expression undertaker. Undertake for me. What shall I say? He has both spoken to me. And he himself has done it. I shall walk carefully all my years in the bitterness of my soul. O oh Lord, by these things men live and in all these things is the life of my spirit. So you will restore me and make me live. By the way, God will heal Hezekiah's body. But he's going to do something else. He's going to forgive Hezekiah's sins. As a matter of fact, look at verses 17 and 18. Indeed, it was for my own peace that I had great bitterness. But you have lovingly delivered my soul from the pit of corruption. For you have cast all my sins behind your back. He believed that there was a relationship between his sins and his sickness. As a matter of fact, we know, is there a relationship between sickness and sin? Sometimes. But we also know that sometimes there's no relationship whatsoever. You'll remember in the New Testament, someone asked Jesus, why was this man born blind? Was he born blind because of some sin he committed or something that his mother or father did? And remember Jesus' response, he was not born blind because of sin or because of something that his mother or father did, but rather that the glory of God might be made known. As a matter of fact, Hezekiah makes a promise. He will sing God's of God's mercy and faithfulness and will sing them every day. But you've lovingly delivered me. You cast my sins behind your back for Sheol or the grave cannot thank you. Death cannot praise you. Those who go down to the pit cannot hope for your truth. Hezekiah has an incomplete picture of what happens when you die. Just like what many people in our own culture and society. All you have to do is TiVo television when you get home. Oh, I missed the ghost whisperer. Oh, I missed medium. We live in a culture and a society that believes that when you die, you go into this other world and there's unconditional regard. The other world is like, imagine you're on the Oprah show and everybody loves you and everybody accepts you and all bets are off and whatever you did wrong, it doesn't matter. 
But nothing could be further from the truth. You see, this is the difference between the Christian worldview and the pagan worldview. The pagan worldview is that this life is simply a reflection of the more important life. But in the Christian worldview, this life is important. What you say and what you do in this life matters. The decisions that you make matter. The acceptance of Christ matters. The rejection of Christ matters. And in verses 19 and 20, it says the living, the living man, he shall praise you as I do this day. The father shall make known your truth to the children. The Lord was ready to save me. Therefore, we will sing my songs with stringed instruments all the days of our life in the house of the Lord. Remember what's happening in this passage. Hezekiah. Suffers. And agonizes for three days. During that three days, he's suffering and agonizing. He's crying out to God. He isn't instantly healed. During those three days, he's asking the question. Isaiah told me, dude, you're toast. Then he came back and said, I've heard your cries. God, how do I know you're going to keep your promise? Well, guess what? He gives them the sign. He literally turns back time. He humbles himself. There's a renewed commitment to the Lord. By the way, I just want to point out seven things quickly. That takes place. Hezekiah prays and he says, Lord, if you will heal me, he promises the Lord these seven things. Number one. He'll walk in humility before the Lord. That's what it says in verse 15. Humility was the answer to the anguish of the soul. Now, again, there's a sneak preview for each and every one of us. <clears throat> when we find ourselves in circumstances. Where we're angry, where we're upset, where we're confused, where we're lost. And we ask, Lord, why is this happening what is going on? Humility becomes the answer to the anguish of his soul because the Lord, the Bible says, hears the prayers of the humble. The Lord exalts the humble. God lifts up the weak and the humble. God brings down those who are full of pride. Remember what it says in Matthew twenty three twelve, And whoever exalts himself will be humbled. And he who humbles himself will be exalted. And so as he faces this catastrophe and this crisis in brokenness and humility, he submits himself to the Lord. That's why we sing the song, Brokenness. Brokenness is what I long for. The second thing is Hezekiah promises to bear a strong witness to the power of God to heal people in verse 16. In other words, he says, Lord, if you heal me, I'll give you all of the credit. I'll give you all of the glory. I'll give you all of the praise. I will point people to you. I will remind them that it was you who healed me through suffering, through the experience of suffering. Hezekiah learns an invaluable lesson, a wonderful truth that God's discipline, the discipline of suffering can be a good thing. Suffering motivated Hezekiah to seek the face of the Lord, to live in prayer, to cultivate a true and a deep relationship with the Lord. And when he drew close to the Lord, the Lord healed him. 
You see, the challenge for us isn't to wait till we're sick. To wait till we're suffering, to, to wait till the time of the catastrophe. Will you humble yourself now? Will you draw near now? Will you give him all of the credit now? By the way, the third thing, Hezekiah promised to declare God's love. Remember in verse 17, indeed, it was for my own peace that I had great bitterness. Look what it says. But you have lovingly delivered my soul from the pit of corruption. You did this because you love me. Hezekiah came to grips. He even conceded. He even admitted. Look, look, read it for yourself. His terminal illness was for his own good. Look at verse 17 again. Indeed, it was for my own peace. Lord, you afflicted me. You did this to me. You didn't do it to me because you hate me. You did it to me because you loved me. You didn't create a circumstance where my husband would leave or my wife would leave. You didn't cause this car accident. You didn't create this circumstance. But according to your sovereign grace and mercy, you orchestrated a series of events that have surrounded my life. And you did it. For my own good, you had a plan. And in that plan, you wanted to grow me up. You wanted to mature me. You wanted to bring me closer to yourself. You wanted me to experience your love. Have you ever prayed the prayer, Lord, I just want to be more intimate with you? Really? Really? Well, guess what? Sometimes... The desire for intimacy, you'll experience suffering, proximity. Hezekiah's suffering led to the forgiveness of his sins. It caused him to repent of his misbehavior. It caused him to turn back to the Lord. And number four, Hezekiah promised to praise the Lord as long as he lived in verse 18. For Sheol cannot thank you. Death cannot praise you. He says, but while I'm alive, I will offer you praise for as long as I live. By the way. Hezekiah promised to hope in God's truth, to walk in his faithfulness in verse 18. If God would heal him, the king promised to place his hope in the promise of God and in the promise of his faithfulness. That's what it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 9. By the way, Paul wrote and he said, God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. If God is faithful to Adam and to Enoch and to Noah and to Abraham and to Hezekiah, God is going to be faithful to you in the Lord Jesus Christ. And number five, to hope in God's truth and faithfulness. And number six, that's verse 18, by the way, verse six, Hezekiah promised to bear a strong witness to the Lord if God allowed him to live. Not just a witness, but a strong witness. You know what I think that means? He doesn't say, hey, from time to time, I'll take out an ad in the paper. From time to time, I'll read my Bible. From time to time, I'll go to church. You know what he's saying? You do this, Lord. Dude. 
I'll be a Jesus freak. Full on Jesus freak. I'll wear the shirt. Jesus freak. I will go to church. I will honor him. Here's the idea. If God allows him to live, he's going to share the truth with his children. He's going to make sure his children hear the promises of God. He's, his children are going to hear the wonderful news that God is faithful. By the way, remember what I told you? During this time of remission, Manasseh is born. And I'm sure Hezekiah kept his promise. He told them the truth about God, that God is faithful. And Manasseh was a monster. And he was the most wicked, most perverse, most disgusting king of Judah ever. But I'll finish that thought in just a moment. Number six. I told you, he promised to be a Jesus freak. Number seven, he promised that he would worship in the temple faithfully. Look at verse 20 again. The Lord was ready to save me. Therefore, we will sing my songs with stringed instruments all the days of our life. Look what it says. In the house of the Lord. You know what it's saying? You do this, I'm going to church. Really, for real. When it's open on Wednesday, I'm there. Prayer, I'm there. Sunday, I'm there. Special events, I'm there. I am there. If God heals me, I will be dedicated. I will be dependable. I will be faithful in public worship all the days of my life. I won't neglect the public meeting of worship. He goes on record. I will make my commitment personal and public. And then he does. By the way, is this manipulative? I don't think so. Remember what I said to you earlier? Hezekiah made two terrible mistakes when God gave him the extension. We're going to find this out in the next chapter. Envoys from Babylon will come. The ambassadors will come from Babylon and they're, they're going to basically say, hey, we heard that you were sick. And so we brought you some presents. And so Hezekiah is going to think, hey, these are my friends. So I'm going to show them the treasure. And that's going to be bad. The second, he's going to father a son, Manasseh, who will go down in history as being the worst king ever. To his credit, Manasseh did repent after God chastened him. He does end the final moments of his life serving the Lord according to Second Chronicles chapter 38, verses 11 through 20. Hence the idea, if you train up a child in the way that he will go when he's old, he will not depart. In other words, as wicked, as perverse, as horrible as Manasseh was, I suspect that the influence mattered. But this has caused people to ask a question. Does God have a perfect will and a permissible will? 
Scholars look at this particular passage and they go, you know, Hezekiah, if you hadn't been such a, a little sissy, break down, have your little breakdown and cry out to God and extend your life, then Manasseh would never have been born and the world wouldn't have been subjected to the worst ruler ever. But I need to ask you a question. If Hezekiah had died without an heir, would someone else have done a better job? Manasseh also would have a grandson named Josiah. You don't know him yet, but as we study the Bible, you'll get to know him. Josiah would do much to bring the nation back to the Lord. Remember what I asked you earlier? If you had the ability to go back in time, would you? Oh, God. If I could only change this, if I could only change that, if I could only change this, if I could only change that. It's very hard to second guess history, but it's even harder to second guess God. Oh, Lord, if I hadn't married this person, if I'd only married that person, I would have girls instead of boys. If I had done this, I would be here and I would be there and I might be able to do this and I might be able to do that. But I'm going to suggest to you that the best way to pray is probably the way Jesus did in the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus didn't go, Lord, I know that your perfect will is this, but I'm willing to operate within your permissible will. Rather, remember what Jesus prayed? Father, if it be possible, let this cup of suffering pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will. You know the rest. But thy will be done. Are you willing to pray that kind of a prayer? Lord, you know what's best for me. Lord, you know what's best for my family. Lord, you know what's best for my church. Lord, I want to submit to you. Lord, if it will glorify you for me to remain now, praise the Lord. If it will glorify you for me to be healed, praise the Lord. If it will glorify you in this particular area of my life, praise the Lord. If it glorifies you to, for, for me to find myself in a position of hurt or deprivation or suffering or pain, praise the Lord. But yet, Lord, if you choose to heal me, hallelujah. If you choose to reconcile those broken relationships, hallelujah. Lord, if you choose to take away the wickedness in those areas of profound rebellion and disobedience, make it so. And Heavenly Father, I pray for each and every person who is here. Lord, I pray that as they begin to discern what's going on in their life, that they would be willing to pray. That they would be willing to submit to you. That we have an awesome and a powerful tool. Persevering prayer. Praise. Submission. Brokenness. Commitment. Lord, I pray that we don't have to wait for our world to collapse. Corporately or individually before we cry out to you.
Lord, like Hezekiah, Lord, we pray that we would submit these things to you. And that we would be willing to love you and honor you and serve you and praise you. Not as a tool to negotiate with. But rather, Lord, as the admission of a sinner who's been saved from our sin. Who's been given new hope and new life. And a future that none of us deserve. A future in Christ. A future in love. A future in hope. In Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand.